Oh, it's late. Praise God. Praise God. All right. So uh, the story of Cain and Abel, how many of people have heard of it? Some of you haven't. That's okay. No, I'm kidding. It's not okay. No. Most people have heard the story of Cain and Abel. Even outside of church, they've heard the story of Cain and Abel. They might not be able to tell you the story of Cain and Abel, but they've kind of heard of it. And if you've grown up in church a long time, I know that you have at least seen one flannel graph with Cain and Abel on it, because that comes standard in the flannel graph kit. So, so let, me, let me tell you, let me give you a little background of the story. So Adam and Eve, um, they oops in the garden, and so then uh, they have some kids, Cain and Abel, sons. Now Cain, he was an agricultural guy, so he grew the, the veggies, he maybe had some fruit trees, maybe did a little with the apples and the figs and maybe some tomatoes. It really depends. Uh, the Bible's kind of silent on that. And his brother Abel, he was the shepherd. So he, he grew the meat. He maybe had some lamb, maybe some camel. I'm not sure you can eat camel. It sounds pretty gross. But, you know, maybe some beast and uh, iguana. I think iguana was big back then, but we're unsure of that, so we're just going to just say, yeah, Iguana was big back then. And so we understand that these guys were somewhat God-fearing men, that they were religious because of their mom and dad. And so they grew up kind of knowing who God is. And they both bring this offering before God as part of their worship. Now, we can kind of glean from this that the story that is told in Genesis chapter 4, is not the first time that Cain and Abel brought their worship to, to God because some scholars estimate that they're probably like in their 120s. So they're pretty old. They've been kind of doing this for a while. Now Abel, the younger brother, he brings an offering from his flock. And Cain, he brings an offering from his field. So I can imagine what God got right there was meat and potatoes. And, and, but for whatever reason, Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's offering was rejected. Cain got upset. He gets angry with God. He gets angry at the whole situation. And God tries to help him. Like God steps in and he says, if you, if, if you do what is right, then this, is, this will be accepted. But if you don't do what is right, then sin is crouching at your door. It wants to own your heart. God is trying to tell him, listen, man, you know the right thing here. You know what you should be doing. And so why are you kind of doing this? And if you do the right thing, everything is good. I, I will accept it. But he didn't listen to God. In fact, he became more and more angry, and eventually he would kill his brother. There's this line in the story that says, uh, Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground. We see this as the first murder in the Bible. At the end of the story, Cain is, is sent away from the presence of, the, of God. He ends up in this town called Nod. And it's a very interesting primitive short story and many people over the centuries have been writing and reflecting on the story trying to answer the question of why why was Cain's sacrifice his act of worship rejected by God and Abel's accepted it's it's worth 
asking the question why. Now, Augustine, he would, he would say this as he wrote about it, that Cain belonged to the city of men, and Abel belonged to the city of God. See, they had two different approaches to coming before God with their worship. They practiced, in this one instant, two very different postures of their hearts. The way of Cain, as the Bible would describe throughout the rest of, of the Scripture, the way of Cain is a way of unbelief. The way of Cain is this self-righteousness or a man-made religion. Like, I've got this figured out. I'm going to do this my way. In the book of Jude, as he kind of unpacks the, the sin of ungodly people, he says that these ungodly people have taken the way of Cain. Cain's way was wrong, but Abel was different. He came with a very different posture in his heart and the way he approached God in his worship. And the pastor of the church, uh, of the, uh, the pastor writing to this little Hebrew church, he wants them to understand the difference because now he is just opening up this whole idea of faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So the way of Abel is a way of faith. And the author is going to begin his whole dissertation on faith by starting at the beginning, not only the beginning of, of what faith is, but at the beginning of the Bible. And he's going to kind of plot out this course as we go through the next weeks of these people who lived a life of faith, a faith that allows a person to persevere, to move forward in this life's journey, to press in and press on and to overcome, not just to try to survive this life, but to thrive in it. Now, the faith of Abel was, was authentic because it led him to worship God, not out of like a, a religious duty, like this is what I'm supposed to do, but out of love in his heart. In fact, it's a faith that brought him to God. It was a faith that made him righteous. And it was a faith that still speaks to us this day. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. To do something by faith is to do it according to the word of God. To do something by faith is we, people, humanity, responds to God by what he has told us, to hear the word of God, and our response to the word of God is to obey him. This, this is faith. Now, we have to kind of look at the whole story of Scripture and, and Bible, especially the Old Testament, to fully understand kind of what's taking place in Genesis chapter 4 and what's taking place right here in this one verse in Hebrews chapter 11, because we have to make some wise conclusions, or we can be misled and misinterpret the word of God and what he's trying to say. Now, first of all, there's evidence in the scripture that God had given some type of instruction that animal sacrifice was the way to come before him, was the way to worship him. Now, I would think that Cain and Abel both learned this from mom and dad. Now remember, mom and dad, they oops in the garden. They take things into their own hands. They decide that they're going to disobey the one command that God had given them. And they eat of the tree. And then it says that once they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they looked down and went, uh-oh, we're naked. 
and they felt shame. And so what God does to cover this shame, to cover their sin, is he clothes them with animal skin. You see, because of their disobedience, God had to kill, shed blood of animals and clothe them with animal skin. And so we see right, off the, right in the beginning that there was blood spilled to cover the sin of sinful man and woman. Now, the ritual of animal sacrifice or the tradition or the, the law of it won't come, become official until Moses gets the word of God. But we know that the ancients sacrificed animals long before Moses. Noah did it in Genesis chapter 8. Abram did it in Genesis chapter 15. So God communicated in some way, shape, or form that animal sacrifice was a necessity to come before him. Adam and Eve would have known it. Cain and Abel would have known it. So the reality of the situation is these brothers would have known what God desired of them, what God wanted from them as they were worshiping him, as they were coming before him. Many years before the incident in Genesis 4 took place. Abel, his faith was a faith that followed what God asked of him. He came to God on his terms, on God's terms, and, and not his own. Here's what God requires of me. Here's what God asks of me. And I will come to him in this way. I will worship him in the way that God invites me in to worship. And not so much with Cain. Cain decided he was going to do it on his own. The scripture says it's the way of Cain. I'll handle this. I'll handle this myself. Instead of, instead of bringing the offering, the, the, instead of worshiping God in the way God called him to worship, he decided that he was going to do it his own way. He says, you know what? I think I'm going to go to my garden. I'm going to pick some veggies. I'm going to pick some fruit. And I'm going to bring that to God. Ultimately telling God, you know what? My, my own good works are good enough. My own, my own idea of how I should be worshiping you, that's, that's going to, who are you to tell me what I should be doing? Who are you to tell me what is, a, is an acceptable offering for you? I wonder, I wonder if he's thinking that, you know, fresh produce looks much better than an animal cut in half with this gut pile over there. And you might think, well, maybe it's, it's a little bit more labor-intensive. It's easy to kill an animal. But, you know, you got to walk through the garden. you got to pick the right tomatoes, the perfect cucumber. You want to make sure your carrots are nice and straight. You want the perfect apples and the perfect figs. And, and you put them, and you wash them all up, and you put them, you arrange them in the basket. Maybe he thought it was more work. And that, that would be acceptable to God. His own effort would be more acceptable to God than coming to God on God's terms. See, Cain came before the Lord with a heart full of pride, with a heart full of self-righteousness. Again, the scripture says it's the way of Cain. Abel obeyed. Abel came to God on God's terms, not his own. He brought what God had desired and asked of him from a posture of joy and wanting to do what is right. His offering was accepted because of where his heart was, the attitude of his heart. The attitude of Cain showed the exact opposite. I'm gonna do things my way. I don't care what God says. I got this. I'll handle this. And Cain, he gets angry when God rejects him. It tells us that in the story of Genesis that his face fell. 
when God rejected his offering. It kind of gives us a little bit of a, a barometer as to where his devotion is, where his heart was. And God pleads with them, do the right thing. What are, you, what are you doing? You know what I ask of you. Do the right thing. God is showing grace and mercy right in chapter 4 of Genesis. He's trying to get Cain to, to change himself. What are you doing here? And yet there are no words from Cain. Silence. God himself could not change the hardness of his heart. We don't know how long it took him to lure his brother out into the field and to kill him, but, but it seemed that Cain might have liked being angry. He kind of held on to that anger and the bitterness in him grew. Some people, some people hold on to those types of things. They just feel angry all the time. But the spirit of Abel was a spirit that was very different. There was a devotion in him. There was this submissive heart. He brought to the Lord his best, the firstborn of his flock, the fat portions. It was the good stuff. But more important, it was what God desired of him. We see this, this thread throughout all of Scripture that God desires our heart. And when God has our hearts, what grows in us is a desire to bring our best before God. Proverbs 3, it says we honor God. We should honor God from our wealth, not just from our leftovers, not just from what we're comfortable with, not just what we want to do, but from a heart that says, God, I want to give you everything, the best. See, that's, that's what God wants. He wants a devoted heart. That's the most important thing. He wants a devoted heart from those who would come before him in worship. He longs for that. Not just Sunday morning at church, but every day, all day, God desires our heart. That our lives would be an act of worship because he has our hearts. To worship him in spirit and truth, as Jesus would tell, tell us in John chapter 4. And, and you know, and I think, I just have this sense that we're early off in this amazing chapter 11 in Hebrews and what the, the, the first example of faith that the writer brings to this church is the example of faith in worship in coming before God in sacrifice. And I just have this sense in me that it's very significant that he starts there because worship is fundamental to who we are. We all worship something. Whether you go to church, whether you don't go to church, whatever you believe in, you worship something. And God desires for us to worship him. We've been created to worship God and God alone. And so he begins with, with this heart. In fact, we'll see in a little bit, everywhere Abraham went, he would build an, build an altar to worship God. Everywhere, every, every, every um, meaningful situation or moment that he lived through, he built an altar to worship God. Church, things like love and service and selflessness and sacrifice, those grow out of a heart that is devoted to worshiping God. We can't muster those things up in ourselves. It's actually very unnatural to live selfless. But those things grow in us as we worship before God. 
And faith, faith is essential to worship that pleases God. Abel's faith grew in him a heart that was obedient to the things of the Lord, to the will of the Lord, to the desires of the Lord. And he gave his best joyfully from a place of wanting to give everything that he had to God. Cain, on the other hand, he would do things his way. He wanted to handle it himself. He came with a heart that said, this is good enough. This is all you get. In fact, look at what I've done. I've picked you the best veggies and all the ripest fruits. I wonder sometimes how often I come before the Lord, the Lord, the the God who've created heavens and earth, the heavens and the earth, this God of grace and mercy, how many times I come before him with my leftovers. How many times have I come before the Lord on my own terms and not his, how he has invited me, how he desires of me to come, rationalizing in my own mind, you know what, this is okay. This is enough. What's he want from me? I'm only human. I got things to do. I got people to see. I got bills to pay. Whatever my excuses. I wonder how many times that I've taken that posture in my own heart and come before God. How many times have I defined grace as a license to come before him with the heart of Cain and my self-righteousness in my man-made religion in my own comfort and my own definition of who God is. But for those who would bring him what he asks for, for those who would sell out for God, give everything, worshiping and sacrificing with a joyful heart, there is authentic worship. And it begins with faith. By faith, Adam brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. Righteousness, hear me now, righteousness comes from faith and faith alone. Cain, or I'm sorry, Abel was not righteous because he brought God what God desired. He was righteous because he had faith in God, and that faith grew in him a heart that was submissive to the things of God, and that submissive heart then allowed him to bring to God what God desired. See, it began with his faith, and it's by faith that we are righteous, not by our good works, not by our deeds, not by what we can muster up in our own life. And we really don't have any idea how God spoke well of his offerings, the scripture is silent on it, but many, many uh, Jewish and Christian scholars say that the possibility that fire came down from heaven and consumed Abel's offering. We see this uh, a few times in scripture where God was pleased with the offering and fire came from heaven and consumed it. How awesome would that be? Unless it was our joy box, and then I'd be just bummed out if it burned up. But that's just me. Um, So it's very possible that in this setting, God spoke well of his offering by consuming it with fires from heaven. But but that's just me thinking out loud. But the focus of what takes place here, the focus that God wants us to see is that God looked upon Abel as righteous, as a right 
living person, as a right living man. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 23 would call him righteous Abel. First John, when he kind of he, he contrasts the life of Cain and Abel, and he points to the, to the faith of Abel and his righteousness. And because of the posture within his heart, he lived away in a way that God spoke well of him. Because of what was in his heart, he lived a very specific way, and God spoke well of him. So, so here's, here's this linear progression where there is an honest faith, an authentic faith. It produces within the person authentic and honest worship. Worshiping the Lord with, with joyfulness and spirit and truth and sacrifice. Worshiping him with obedience to how he calls us to worship and not what we want to do. And as we move in those rhythms, as we move in this authentic faith and this authentic worship, it begins to affect the way we live. It begins to affect how we do life. It affects each and every day. It affects every word that we speak. It produces within us a practical, righteous living before God. In the book of James, it speaks of of this idea where faith and works, they're inseparable. They, they go together. Faith without works is dead, is what he says. And, 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 I, and I read this example this week. It, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like faith and works are the same as the wings of a bird. Have you ever seen a bird with a broken wing? It flutters around on the ground. It can't get off the ground. It, it's, just, it's just lashing and flipping around. But when those two wings are working in harmony and rhythm with the rest of the bird, it takes flight. And so faith and works are like that. When they're working together, when they're working in rhythm with what God has called us to do and be, then we live a life for the kingdom and not just a life for ourselves. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. A faith that's lived out loud speaks to the world around it. We still, to this day, are speaking of the story that happened a long time ago. A long time ago. We're still speaking about this guy who lived this life of faith before God. People pay attention to the way we live. People pay attention to the things we do and the things we say. I'm talking normal stuff. I'm talking everyday mundane life. People pay attention to that. Not just because you're a Christian. No, that's just not. It's just the way we are. We notice things. We notice how people are. There's a story about Francis of Assisi. And one day he invites one of the novices in the monastery to go out with him into the town and preach a morning sermon. And so the novice, he's he's excited about this. This is an honor to go with Francis, to be singled out, to walk with him through the town. And so they leave early in the morning and they walk down the road and they walk into town and they begin to interact with people. 
They get to the main street and they walk right down main street with all the shops and the, and the commerce going on and all the businesses. And they begin to talk to people and interact with people. Say hi, good morning. And then they leave the center of town and they walk into the suburbs where the farms are where everybody is kind of working the farm and, and they just continue to walk and they continue to meet and say hi and interact. And they're walking for hours and hours and hours. And as they're walking, the novice notices that they, they've wound up right back at the gates of the monastery. And he says to Francis, I, I just want to remind you, humbly remind you, that we were supposed to go and, 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 and preach this morning. And listen to what Francis would say. We have preached. We were preaching while we were walking. We have been seen by many. Our behavior has been closely watched. This is how we preached our morning sermon. And then he says this. It is of no use to walk anywhere to preach unless we preach everywhere as we walk. People Pay attention to our lives. You know, there's not a single recorded word of Abel in the scripture. Not a single word. All we have is a short little story. And to this day, we talk about his faith. How he came before God on God's terms and not his own. How this faith in his heart brought to him a place of submissiveness to God and what God wanted and desired from him. And he didn't give it begrudgingly, but he gave it with a joyful heart. Here in his sacrifice and his worship was accepted. His story has been preaching for thousands and thousands of years. See, faith spawns within us an honest and authentic worship because it gives us eyes to see what is acceptable to God. Faith produces in us a desire to come to God on his terms, the way he calls us to, the way that's acceptable to him. Faith moves us there with joy and excitement to worship and serve this living God. Faith is how we come before him, the way he desires us to come before him. Not with our own man, woman, made ideas. By faith, by faith, Abel was called righteous. See, he didn't live a righteous life and then he got faith. He had faith first and that in him changed him. And it was faith that allowed him to live in a different rhythm and harmony than the people around him, than his very own brother. By faith, he was considered righteous. That's why in just a few verses in Hebrews, it will tell us this. That is, it is impossible to please God without faith. You can try and try and try, and you could try to put on your best behavior and try to clean yourself up and and you're not going to use potty mouth anymore, and you're going to do all these really good things, but if you lack faith, it's for naught. Faith produces in us a righteousness that is acceptable to God. You show me a heart. You show me a person who, who is in the palm of God's hand, and I will show you a heart of faith. 
And by faith, though he died, he still lives on. His story still lives on. How will we be remembered? How will we be remembered? As a man of faith, as a woman of faith, that story preaches forever, for a long time, after we're gone. Maybe some of you are struggling in that whole idea of coming before God on his terms and you just sense that there's this deficiency in your heart of, of faith. I mean, real, authentic faith. Maybe your worship has been kind of flat and you've just been going through the motions on Sunday morning and you, and you can't even bring yourself to sing the words of the songs. We've got people that are willing to pray with you, pray for you. They'll be at the cross. They're wandering around here. If that's where your heart is, man, don't, don't just rush out and leave because you're embarrassed. We all have lived through those dry spells of faithlessness. And as a community, we can gather around one another and pray. I just got prayed for, and that just lifted my spirit. And yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have mind if it went on for another hour, then I wouldn't have had to preach. I would have had my sermon all ready for next week. But by faith, we honor God. We honor him. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the power of prayer and the gift of faith. Now may it change our hearts to honor you, to come before you for who you are in the way that you desire. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.